Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. March Madness is upon us. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website, betonline.ag, or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, folks, this is Jeremy Evans, your host of the Believe in Sports Law podcast via the Believe Podcast Network. Always appreciate you listening in. This is episode 13 of season three, and we have a very special panel for you today. It's a part of the Cal State Long Beach Graduate uh, Program in Sport Management uh, that I teach in. And it is um, three special guests. We have Matt Lee, who is, um, uh, does uh, sports sponsorships at Instagram. We have Terry Carson, who is the Associate Director of Compliance at UCLA Athletics. And then we have Carly Tower, who is the Client Services Coordinator at Altius Sports Partners. So this is a class that I co-teach as an adjunct with a colleague of mine at the Rose Bowl in uh, Deedon Brozino. So hope that you enjoy this week's show. And again, appreciate you listening in. Welcome everybody, uh, glad to be here. So I wanna make a quick, some quick introductions and um, some big thank yous for the folks who are here, including the students. Uh, this is a part of the Cal State Long Beach Graduate Sport Management Program. So uh, we have first, we have Carly Tower, who is the Client Services Coordinator at Altius Sports Partners. Then we have Terry Carson, who is the Assistant Director of Compliance at UCLA Athletics. And then we have Matt Lee, who handles sports partnerships at Instagram. So Matt, Terry, Carly, thank you so much for being here. I know, uh, Carly, you're on the East Coast, so it's you're three hours ahead, so it's 9 o'clock p.m., uh, which is normally normally uh, Deedon's bedtime, and then um, uh, then we have Matt. You're on the East Coast as well, right? I am on the East Coast. Yep. Okay. All right. So I we, so we apologize in advance, but appreciate you being here. So um, so Matt, Terry, Carly, really appreciate you guys coming tonight. I'm going to start us off with a quick little icebreaker, which I hope is somewhat funny. But if the jokes are bad, Deedon wrote them. I'll blame them on him. So uh, college athletes earning a living has really moved from being taboo to mainstream. So what has changed and what is changing? And maybe Carly, start with you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so to give a, another kind of facet of my background, I'm a recent um, student athlete. I played division one volleyball at Dartmouth. And so um, my answer to this question is kind of through that lens. And, um, you know, I think 
the college athletes now, um, the movement for them to be able to make a living is really um, stemmed from the kind of digital native generation and people being online on social media and knowing that platform so well, like the back of their hand, it's so natural. Um, you know, the opportunities are there. We see them all the time. And um, now for college athletes to want to take advantage of that and use their platform, whether online or, you know, in person in different events, I think that really is um, one of the driving factors for why this has moved from kind of a taboo subject to really mainstream and something that's expected now. Right. No, no, thanks, Carly. I appreciate that perspective, especially from the student athlete point of view. Um, so Terry, let's go to you and uh, talk a little bit about your perspective and sort of how you see this and sort of what, what's changed and, and what is changing with regard to sort of name, image, and likeness and social media. Yeah. So I think for me, the way I view it personally is just, I think there is an influx obviously with the lawsuits that have been brought to make, basically made this mainstream attention, right? The topic is now a topical area for people that like sports or don't like sports, right? It's just in the media, it's more constant. Um, but I personally believe it's really what Carly said. It's attributed to the newfound access um, to information with the growth of social media. I think sports have always been popular. The commercialization in sports have always happened, but the data to support the growth and the monetary aspect of sports is really what I see as kind of the big push. And with access to that type of information, people have really a new perspective and have formed their opinion on student athlete compensation. I think this generation is also just very inquisitive. They're really leading the change. Social media allows us to share our opinions to the masses. And once there's a shared sentiment, it's easy to transform that opinion to drive change. I think we really saw that this week um, at the NCAA level. Um, and I just use that as an example of kind of what, how I view it and how I see it in real time when I'm working with student athletes and just kind of looking at the landscape. No, thanks, Terry. And, and you bring up a really good point with regard to social media. I mean, that's, to me, that's the biggest driver, right? Because if you have a broadcast, the broadcast is pretty much taken up by the advertisers, and whatever sponsors they have. You can't really promote anything other than what the broadcast approves of because they purchased the license to the copyright. So it, it is in, in sort of perfect segue to, to, our, uh, to our main man, Matt, here, who's going to talk a little bit about social media. So how about your perspective from Instagram and, and sort of social media in general? Do you agree with those sentiments? Do you have anything else to add? Yeah, I think both of those sentiments are, are spot on. And obviously, there's the forcing function of NIL legislation, and, and whether that's at the state level or kind of the, the rumors and uh, kind of the building towards a federal type level uh, implementation. That's that's the forcing function, but there's been a bigger shift over the last decade, over the last four or five years of athletes going beyond the field of play for their brands, essentially, right? So from the highest level of professional athletes through amateurs in the Olympic space or the collegiate space, and even to high school athletes at this point, uh, you know, you think about Sierra Canyon and, and they're launching a new series featuring that team. These athletes are building a presence beyond the traditional linear TV and essentially, that's all happening on social and, and across platforms on social. It's happening on Instagram. It's happening on Facebook. But it's really a, across platforms. And when we think about athletes, you know, it goes beyond how many you know Super Bowls that Tom Brady has won or how many Grand Slams Serena's won. It's really about you know how they're building their brands and TV12 and Serena's real really clothing design beyond that. So they have the opportunity to not only show off what they're doing on the field, but the training regiments leading up to that. There off the field content and behind the scenes content. And then for those two specifically, they're booming commerce initiatives, um, which Tom did a great job of, of really amplifying after the Super Bowl. 
And then when you think about college athletes, they're really in the same boat, boat, but they just don't have the clearance yet or sometimes don't have the resources to accomplish those same goals. So with the mainstream movement towards college athlete monetization, you have to think that schools are going to begin to ramp up those resources. And our jobs as the platform and how we're approaching NIL specifically is to educate as much as we can around Instagram and Facebook to equip student athletes across the board with the best practices that we are instilling in professional athletes. And then ultimately to try to provide equity so that it's not just, you know, the top 1% of student athletes, but it's really the entire landscape of, you know, 460,000 uh, that, that we're trying to pull in here. Wow. No, and it, it's, it's, it's good stuff, Matt, because I remember reading an article recently uh, regarding sort of the dollar value connected to each follower that you have and what it would look like in the marketplace where you have, you know, maybe a female volleyball player who has 400,000 followers, it would make more money than let's say the starting left tackle if he only had 100,000 followers, right? So I think in some ways it could work as an equalizer uh, and we can get into the money issues sort of later and how much money we're actually talking about here, but it is interesting. And I'm going to come back to you again, Matt, with another question, but I had a conversation today with a gentleman who uh, is working at Stephen F. Austin University. And of course, uh, unless you're watching March Madness or any basketball tournaments, you probably haven't heard a lot of those schools, right? Normally, right? The Oral Roberts and um, the Abilene Christians, right? And so it's, it's sort of interesting. They didn't sell the NFT, um, but they sort of released it as a promotional item. So we'll see how that plays out. But so sticking with you, Matt, um, let's go back a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about how you got your start in the sports industry um, and um, sort of give, give your sort of uh, experience at the different stops that you've had along the way. Definitely, definitely happy to. And the NFT, uh, I had a feeling that may come up. It's kind of the hottest topic right now, especially in the sports space. But yeah, I had a bit of unique kind of start and background in my career. I started within a rotational program at the Nielsen Company. So they're probably best known for uh, Nielsen ratings and, and measuring uh, linear TV here in the U.S. But I was really fortunate. I was able to do a bunch of kind of short term stops across the business world. Um, on the consumer packaged goods side, like measuring how many people buy what, uh, and in the media space here in the U.S. and got to spend some time in the United Kingdom. Uh, I netted out of that onto our kind of Nielsen Sports Group, where I was focused on account management. And within that was really kind of an academy-type learning environment, not only learning how to measure media and, and how that exists in the linear space and the digital space, but also understanding how fans consume sports and, and which sports properties are, are resourced effectively. Uh, so I had a, a mix of kind of brand and league exposure there. Uh, and you understand both sides of the table then, right? It's, it's what, you know, brands like Gatorade are doing to optimize their sponsorships, but then it's also how the NBA is maximizing those sponsorships and the distribution that they have from an increasingly global kind of fan base. Um, so I was really fortunate to kind of be there and, and learn a ton while I was at Nielsen for about four and a half years. But I also saw kind of the firsthand literal shift of the traditional sports fan who is sitting down watching on TV into, you know, the younger sports fan who's consuming probably first and foremost on their phone or at least that second screen experience. Uh, so naturally, I kind of gravitated towards that digital space and was fortunate enough to join Instagram about 18 months ago. Uh, and where, that's a lot where a lot of that second screen consumption occurs and I've learned a lot since then as well. Oh, that's great, Matt. And it's so funny because we connected on LinkedIn and that's how we got the conversation started. And it was literally like, 
we connected and then I think you sent me a message and we were like, we should chat. And I was like, yeah, we should. <laughs> there so, you go. I think I listened to one of the podcasts and that's what, right. what drew me in. So always I trying to it. stay, stay up to breast with the, uh, the latest industry stuff. So, yeah, I love it. I love it. Now, same, same, same exact thing. And it's a good lesson learned, right? Because when you stay up on things, it's, uh, it, it, I think it opens a lot more doors for you when you know sort of what to talk about, what to look for. So Terry, same question to you. Um, Kind of give your background a little bit. We've been friends for, I don't know, I guess five, 10 years now. Uh, maybe, and I don't know if it's been that long, but we'll just say for the, for the sake of the podcast, it's been, it's been that long. So um, yeah, t- just tell, tell everybody sort of a little bit about your background and, and your stops at each place that you've been. Absolutely. So, you know, just starting with how I got into the sports industry, truly landed my first job working in sports, working for the San Diego Padres. Uh, when I was an undergrad, I was on the pod squad. I was on the brand ambassador for the team doing community outreach, pregame, in-game entertainment at home games. Um, I took a gap year from my undergrad to law school, and I continue to work on the pod squad during that gap year. But then I worked as an associate at Sports One Marketing for Hall of Fame quarterback Warren Moon, CEO Dave Meltzer, excellent people, loved working there, selling sports sponsorship, not an area that I was interested or knew anything about, truthfully, and from my undergrad, but it was an amazing experience and really kind of gave me an opportunity to work in an office setting um, and see what it would be like to work in sports, right, in a more traditional aspect, something that I could maybe grow. I decided from there I was going to attend law school. I didn't really have a path yet on what I wanted to pursue, very similar to a lot of first year law students going into it. But I knew I was interested in sports entertainment and wanted to try to learn a little bit more about that. So following my 1L year that summer, I took coursework at the University of Oregon Law School at their Summer Sports Law Institute. And one of the weeks was dedicated specifically to NCAA compliance. after hearing from former members on the Committee for Infractions and learning about the role of a compliance officer at NCAA institutions, especially for people with JDs as like an avenue uh, to use your degree, I was really interested. So I landed my first internship at the University of San Diego Athletics um, the summer prior to my 2L year. Um, And I also had the opportunity to work at the PGA Tour by way of the Farmers Insurance Open and for the MLB at the MLB All-Star Game in San Diego. Um, I really enjoyed both of those experiences, obviously not related to compliance, but it kind of also reared me back into realizing I really enjoyed working at USD and that was probably something I wanted to pursue um, as a career. So I continued working at USD during my second year or second and third year of law school. And then after that, once I was finished with law school, I knew I was heart set on compliance. Um, I remain in contact with the former SWA at the University of San Diego, who became the AD at Seattle University, and I got really lucky and a job opened up, so I took my talents to Seattle, and I became the Assistant Director for Compliance and Student Athlete Services. Um, After two years there, I was really missing the sunshine of SoCal, um, and I was itching to move closer to home, so my former supervisor at USD, my first boss ever, um, had made her way to UCLA, and the stars aligned for me again, and I was able to secure a job there, so um, I, now in my current role, been here for two years, and I serve as the assistant director for compliance at um, UCLA Athletics, so that's kind of like my actual path, but just kind of shows that I took a lot of stops and made a few trips and turns to kind of check it all out and decided compliance really was for me. No, thanks, Terry. And just, just by the way, what's the number one public university in the country? Just curious. I, I can't remember what number it is. Is that, is that UCLA? UCLA. I uh, think it is. Okay. <laughs> Jeremy, you know, might like UCLA a little bit. 
I'm, I'm sure you've heard that on the call probably previously. Yeah, I'll put I'll put UCLA one 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 A and I'll put uh, Cal State Long Beach one A too. Like you know, it's right up there. I like that. love it. Yeah, I see. <laughs> Deaton likes that too. All right, um, all right. So uh, Carly, let's go to you. Thanks for that, Terry. So uh, Carly, talk a little bit about what Altia Sports Partners is because it's obviously it's a brand new idea um, and it's a brand new company. You got a lot of cool people involved. Talk a little bit about the company, but then also about what you're doing for them. Yeah, absolutely. So Altia Sports Partners um, is a relatively new startup firm in the name, image, and likeness space in college athletics. And we're really um, providing and working on alongside and on behalf of athletic institutions across the country to prepare the institution and the student athletes for the NIO rule changes that are coming up. Um, we're working, like I said, on behalf of the institution. So we're not a, a marketplace or um, we're not pairing, you know, student athletes to NIL opportunities, but we're really bringing education in a really holistic sense beyond just social media um, and personal branding, but things like, you know, financial literacy and opportunity management and what does it mean to be a professional and how do you show up at a, you know, an event or start your own business if you want to be an entrepreneur. So really bringing holistic education to an athletic department and then working with their coaches, their student athletes to implement um, those educational programs. Um, now through what we do know about, you know, where the rules may land and kind of laying the groundwork. And then once the rules go live, hopefully over the summer, we'll see how that goes, um, you know, going more specific into there. So my specific role within Altius as a client services coordinator is working very directly with our client schools. We've got LSU, Texas, and South Carolina, and a few others that will hopefully be announced here before too long, working directly with them to, um, first of all, plan the programming through their department. Some folks are doing it through their compliance department. Some are doing it through student athlete development, um, you know, working with them on kind of creating the plan and laying the groundwork. And then, um, you know, putting together curriculum packages and getting everyone up to speed to what we know now and then ready to roll as soon as the rules are live. So it's a very hands-on um, process What for all that we do with our clients. And it's been a lot of fun to be in such an emerging industry or an emerging facet of the sports industry. Um, everything is different every day, you know, <laughs> things change quickly, um, but it's, you know, part of the fun of it and part of being in sports is, you know, there's a lot happening. So that's a little bit of background on Altius and then my role within our company. No, that's great. And then um, appreciate that. And I'm sure the listeners do too, because uh, you know, it's one of those things where if you haven't done the research, you might not know. Right. And so, uh, and you've, you guys have signed up some huge partners. I mean, uh, LSU as a university, uh, University of Texas at a, as a university, and of course, uh, um, University of South Carolina. And then you've also got the women uh, leader, uh, women leaders in college sports as well. So Absolutely. um you know, it's, it's, and you guys got a fantastic board with Oliver Luck and a few other people involved there. And uh, so talk a little bit about your background. Um, so the same question I asked Terry and, and Matt, uh, sort of how did you get to ASP? I know you had yeah. some pretty cool stops, even at Dartmouth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, Altius is my first official post-graduation um, post career stop. Um, but while I was in school at Dartmouth, had several internships at various places within the industry. I worked for the Orlando Magic. I'm originally from Orlando. Um, so I worked for the Magic um, as a premium guest services representative and 
So through that, you know, was interacting with fans and kind of creating the whole fan experience um, at the premium level. So, you know, the suites and things like that and working with um, some of their events that they had. Um, I also had an internship with the NFL Players Association, which is where I met Casey Schwab, who's the CEO and founder of Altius. That was two summers ago now. He and I connected there um, and stayed in touch. Um, there I was with the former player services department. So working with retired NFL players on everything they needed from, you know, events that were happening with other players in their hometown to if they had a financial or medical emergency, um, kind of figuring out and helping them with aid and things like that. And then also I worked within the Dartmouth Athletic Department um, while I was a student athlete and after I finished my playing career with the fundraising and external relations department. So a lot of alumni outreach and, um, you know, also events on campus and through all of those stops, um, I really clarified what I'm most excited about in the sports industry, which is um, kind of the helping people aspect and being with athletes or fans off of the field and off the playing surface. And I think with NIL and what we're doing at Altius, it's so, um, it, it fits in perfectly and it perfectly aligns with how um, kind of my stops along the way and how this is gonna really transform a student athlete's life off of the court, off of the field. Um, you know, so I'm excited about that and landed up at Altius, as I mentioned, through um, my kind of connection and just staying in touch with Casey as, um, you know, he was forming Altius and I was nearing my graduation, um, stayed in touch. And like Terry said, the stars aligned and wound up here. So, yeah. Love it. No, thanks for that, Carly. You know, I saw Casey tweeted something recently and, you know, Casey's always worked for a company, you know, it was Fox Sports, I think the NFL network, the NFL PA, and then now he's an entrepreneur and he posted this great quote the other day where he said, entrepreneurship is something a lot like standing on a diving board until you jump off. You really don't know how it is, you know, or something along those lines. Right. And it's so true. And it's, and you were exactly right. I mean, all your steps that you followed along the way have set you up perfectly for this opportunity. Right. Um, so I appreciate you sharing that. So Matt, let's, let's go back to you for a bit. So you've obviously got this great job as sports partnerships at Instagram, just looking at Instagram all day long and hanging out and doing partnerships, but it sounds cool. Right. But tell us a little bit about what you do in that current role. Yeah, it is a lot of time looking at Instagram. I, I have to raise my hand on that one, but uh, you need to know the, the voice of the consumer, I suppose. Right. So uh, yeah, I joined Instagram about 18 months ago and, and started uh, actually in a backfill situation for someone going on a paternity leave. So our team at Instagram sports is, is small, but mighty. There's four of us in total, but we sit within a much larger kind of Facebook sports organization that has global reach and um, is around a hundred, I believe overall. So I came in and, and focused specifically on our leagues and team segments. So working with, um, you know, the, the big leagues here in the U S and globally, and then teams across the professional and collegiate space. And really when I first started uh, was really just trying to add value wherever I could. So relying on my background at Nielsen, my Excel skills at some points, my keynote skills, just to try to add like a data-driven type focus to any conversation we're in. Um, and then obviously when, when the paternity leave ended, my role has kind of shifted since then and, and away a bit from leagues and teams and, and into the emerging athletes and, and what we call our sports creator space, which are those who are creating content for Instagram, but they're not necessarily professional athletes, uh, but they're extremely skilled at sports. So the best example is probably the professor who's been around for 20 years at this point. And I used to watch him when I was a little kid on the and one mixtape tour. And now he does everything that he did back then, but on Instagram, 
uh, and we have a great relationship with him. So day to day, you know, we work with different partners and, and we call them partners because they're just that. There's not a monetary transaction there, but really it's about building deeper relationships and, and giving them the best practices for our products. So my role is working with athletes and agencies um, in the collegiate space or the Olympic space uh, to try to drive, you know, product adoption when we have new products release. Uh, how they can tap into that, and then opportunities for testing products and, and monetization across the board. So with athletes and with creators, uh, a lot of it is, okay, how can I make money off my you know, large presence on Instagram? And a lot of my job is figuring out how to best do that at scale. Um, and, and no two days are really the same, which is great. Uh, it allows for just kind of a, a fresh start every day but also relies a lot on collaboration. So a ton of internal collaboration, you know, working within the walls of Facebook Inc. There's just people for every specific function. And really those relationships internally are, are what allows you to succeed in a role like this because you are working with marketing or you're working with products or communications. And ultimately you're working with our partners externally who really make the magic happen. Um, and then this year, you know, one of my main focuses is on NIL uh, and really uh, how we can usher in this new generation of student athletes who are going to be able to ideally monetize off their own name, image, likeness in the first time um, and trying to figure out how we approach that. So we've tried to be as proactive as possible, doing our research with the stakeholders in the space. So, you know, meeting with Casey at LTS back in December to chat through his vision for the company and, and partnering with them to understand, okay, who are your clients and how can we provide best practices to them? Working with others in the space, like an open doors or influencer, uh, working with schools themselves. So whether it's the compliance department or it's the athletic department or the coaching staff, how can we teach the teachers about our platforms so that they in, can then in turn teach the athletes? Uh, and we really are just trying to best understand where Instagram and Facebook need to play uh, so that we can provide that education within it. I think right now, 99% of collegiate athletes are probably on one of our platforms, if not multiple. But my role is really to try to upskill that presence, take it from just, you know, I'm posting a story every other day into, okay, you're making a monetizable or a meaningful presence on Instagram. Um, and it's, it's really starting from scratch there and trying to do it in a way that's equitable, as I mentioned with top, because I can't just be the top of the top. It has to be every athlete. And um, we've seen examples from, you know, female volleyball players, like you mentioned, all the way through, you know, someone like Trevor Lawrence, who was a superstar by the time he was end of his freshman year. Um, and, and really everyone in between. So that's kind of the role. And uh, it, like I said, it changes every day. And, and with a product like Instagram, it's kind of a forcing function to, to change it because uh, the product is changing every day, as I'm sure you're all acutely aware and, and thrilled with. Right. Yeah, I get updates every day. You change this feature, change this feature. Although now you can message on Instagram and uh, Facebook in the same messenger app or does it. So that, that was kind of cool. Um, depends who you ask, but yes, that is, right. that is one of the new features. So <laughs> like, it's funny. Cause I didn't follow one friend on Instagram, but then I got a message from them because I follow them on Facebook or we're friends on Facebook. And so I had to approve of the message to come into the, to the box because it, it wasn't, you know, anyway. Um, but that's a fascinating role, Matt, because it feels like you do business affairs on one hand, but then it's like client development, but then you also have to know your product really well. So it just sounds like a, an awesome role that you've got there. So that's great. Um, Terry, let's go to you and to sort of Matt's point about it really takes everybody uh, to get this done, right? Because you need the platform, you need the schools to be on board, and then you need companies like ASP to come in and um, sort of manage some of that stuff. 
and we can talk about what model is best a little bit later on and how that's all going to play out. Um, but Terry, what, what, what are you currently doing at UCLA and what are some common issues that you come across in compliance? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, just to answer your second question, you know, doing compliance in a pandemic, zero out of 10 would recommend. But um, outside of that, <laughs> as a compliance officer, my job is to educate, monitor, and enforce the NCAA conference and university regulations. Um, I directly support women's gymnastics, baseball, and the men's soccer program as their dedicated compliance liaison. Um, and I basically assist with all matters compliance, whether that's submitting waivers, managing interp requests, um, conducting rules at meetings, you know, the checks and balances from like a monitoring perspective, essentially, whether that be going to practices or games, you know, doing the, the passless gate, like we mentioned earlier, to check in CARA logs to make sure we're in our time. I'm sure Carly's familiar with the, the student check on the CARA logs for the hour breakdown for week, each week. Um, and then I also act as the lead for our national letter of intent program, the NCAA transfer portal and our roster management systems. Um, but every day is different. Um, there, and I think even the days that I think I have a plan and I think I know it's going to happen, there's always a potential fire that you have to put out because things happen, right? Student athletes do something, coaches do things. Um, the rules really are so expansive that they do touch so many areas um, of the department that you just never know what you're going to be running up against. It kind of just depends on the year. You can kind of focus on different areas, right? If the NFL draft's coming up, you're thinking about the draft. If you are in summer, right, you're thinking of summer access and care activities, voluntary activities, things like that, um, financial aid, whatever it may be, you can run the gamut. But it just, because compliance has a touch point with so many areas, um, obviously my time can be consumed in different areas depending on what the flavor of the day is. But obviously in, in the last year, outside of the pandemic, NIL is obviously another area, co constantly researching, seeing what's out there. Um, and then, you know, obviously kind of in a, a pause right now because there's no updates on the proposals at this point, hopefully very soon. To talk about our newest sponsor, eBay. Whether rare dead stock or the latest release, find the exact shoe you're looking for. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is a place to go to grab the pair you've been eyeing. With eBay's authenticity guarantee, your sneakers are meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators. A team of experienced sneaker authenticators verify the box, logo, stitching, and dozens of other inspection points. Each sneaker also receives an authenticity guarantee tag that includes a digital stamp of authenticity. It also protects sellers with a verified return process. And for sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated the fees on sneakers of $100 and more, making it free to sell your collection. So go to ebay.com slash sneakers today. eBay, the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. No, that's great, Terry. You know, it's funny. Um, we had an athletic uh, director on a, uh, at an event in the past, which I won't name. And it was funny because the sort of point was brought up by this athletic director that if they did not receive a complaint or a inquiry with regard to compliance, at least once a day, then there was something wrong. Meaning that like it was her job to make sure that if things were wrong, she would know about them. And that the issue is not necessarily that things are go wrong. It's that you have to try to find ways to fix them or to, to, to make them right. So um, I love what you do. And, and it's so cool how, um, when sort of we envisioned putting this together, I didn't really sort of think that uh, it's kind of interesting how all three of you 
could conceivably work together at some point and probably will. Um, you know, it's so, so to Matt's point, I think that's, that's terrific how it's worked out that way. It makes us look like geniuses. So, you know, I think we're good there. <laughs> um, so, so, so thanks again for that. All right. So Carly, tell us a little bit about what you're doing, uh, the type of work that you're doing um, at, uh, at ASP and what, what you kind of see as the, the future maybe of your work there. Yeah, definitely. There's a common theme between what Matt and Terry said and would all say that every day is different. <laughs> you never know what you're going to get. Um, but that's what makes it so fun. And, um, you know, what we're doing now, primarily with our client institutions is beginning um, education for um, the athletic department staff, whether that's compliance officers, um, external relations, development, student athlete development, working um, in educating them on kind of the, the basics of NIL and what's not going to change. So everything from basics on intellectual property, what's the difference between your school's mark and you know, the student athletes NIL? We may not know yet what, you know, if they'll be able to use together or um, you know, things like that in the NIL space, but at least kind of issue spotting on that. Um, also beginning you know, proactive conversations with corporate partners of schools and talking about making the pie bigger and how there will be new opportunities for all parties. So beginning those conversations um, at the, the athletic department level, we're also beginning with coaches and student athletes, similar types of education, and really just making sure that the groundwork and the foundation is laid so that when we're ready to go live, we're, we're ready to roll. But it's true that every day is different. You never know, you know, what might come up, you know, like the NFTs has really blown up. So a lot of what we're doing now with our partners is educating them on what that means, first of all, and how it's going to impact the NIL space and college athletes. So anytime there's something, um, you know, new, that's um, our role as Alti is to kind of come in and advise and um, educate and bring everyone up to speed on where we are now and where we're going. And then as you know, the rules go live, like I said, that's when, that's when it's really go time. Love it. Now, Carly, so let's talk a little bit about that, right? I know we don't have a crystal ball here and we can't, you know, we don't know, but if you could take a guess, I mean, I sort of see that we probably have at least three models we could go with. And if not, there's at least going to be three sort of compliance issues we're going to have to deal with, right? On the one hand, you could have a federal model that says, okay, Congress has passed this law and this is what it is. There's a, there's a threshold across the country. Um, so you have that. Then I guess you have um, maybe each individual state passes something. Um, and then I guess the third is maybe that NCAA is going to have its rules or requirements, right? So what do you kind of foresee as the right model? You know, And again, I'll give the example of the Fair Pay to Play Act in California, right? Which is a true sort of like open market capitalist sort of model where it says school has nothing to do with it. You can only, you're restricted on certain deals. You can't compete with the school. You can hire an agent or an attorney or both. And that's pretty much it. Uh, you pretty much open market, open season, right? So what are your thoughts on all that? I know it's a, a big intro, but um, so yeah. 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 It's like you said, no one has a crystal ball. That would be very nice. Would make all of our lives so much easier to know what direction this is going to go. Um, but part of the value that we're bringing as a company is to keep our eyes on and our hands on where things are developing so that um, our clients at their institutional level can focus on their campus and we can kind of advise on where we're seeing the trends. But 
um, right or wrong, something that we talk about and I think is really interesting with some of the state and federal proposals is that there's not a whole lot of guidance um, when it comes to what, for example, a compliance department will or won't be able to do. That's kind of, you know, quote unquote, inside baseball. And that's just something if you're not working in athletics, you just might not understand and know how to frame in a legislative context, whereas an NCAA proposal, for example, can touch on those things a lot more specifically. So, you know, I don't know for sure where it's going to land and, you know, what's what will end up being right or wrong in the space. But, um, you know, I think there's a lot in the first six months, year, two years that's going to need to really be fleshed out. And everyone's going to, I think, need to have a little bit of grace and a little bit of flexibility to, um, you know, adapt as, you know, whatever gets laid out and whatever ends up going live as the rules and the regulations, um, it's, it's going to be a learning curve for everyone, no matter where it lands. So we'll see, hopefully there's a little more clarity as the Alston case comes out and the oral arguments are next week and things like that. Um, but it really is just keeping all the possibilities in mind as we're preparing and um, hoping that there is um, in my opinion, hoping that there is some, some guidance and some guardrails um, in clear cut what the institution can or can't do and in being involved in the NIL space. Right. No, that's, that's good stuff, Carly. And it's interesting because, you know, ASP has centered itself as in really in a great spot because ultimately wherever it goes, um, you can service the school, you can service the athletes, whatever it is. Right. So I think it's great that way. And if you look at the marketplace, you know, you have Overtime Elite League coming out, you have Professional Pathways Program, all these different things happening that are allowing for, um, you know, sort of athletes at a younger age to sort of make money. And it, it's going to be interesting. And, you know, a couple of the things, and going to you, Terry, on this next question, you know, some of the restrictions that I've heard with regard to legislation is, well, maybe you have a rule that says money has to go away in a trust. And the player can't make it, you know, over a certain amount of money during, during college, or maybe the money is put away until they, they leave college, or maybe they're not able to endorse, um, you know, let's say cannabis products or alcohol products, right. You know, stuff that maybe California legislation is not going to talk about, but maybe NCAA stuff will. So kind of maybe your thoughts on some of that. And then also really the same question as to where do you see some of this going? If anyone on this call knows, that'd be great. Send me a LinkedIn message. Um, <laughs> Thank you now. That'd be great as well. Um, I mean, it's it's so hard to tell. Again, if I knew, I'd be so happy. If I felt like I knew I had a real pulse on it and I felt like I was like inching towards what I thought would happen, it just, it changes so much every day. I think there are so many impeding factors. And the thing with the law, right, even NCAA legislation or federal legislation or state legislation, it is slow moving. And they're like, we're talking about social media, right? It's changing all the time. Like if a lot of opportunities are happening in that avenue, like how can any of us really know how that's going to play out in real time, right? The practical application of the rule is the most difficult portion. I think Carly hit that on the head. Like for someone that works at the institutional level, it's one thing to see the black letter law. It's another thing to apply it, right? You know, I read the words and I understand them, right? But I don't necessarily know how they're going to play out in real time, especially because there are so many different evolving changes to social media, right? You know, TikTok blows up this year. There's going to be 14 different social media platforms that do 14 other things I haven't even thought of yet, right? Um, how are the how are we going to adapt to those types of situations that maybe the legislators 
at the NCAA level or federal or state have really thought through because we're thinking really of traditional models um, and like touching on the social media aspect, but there's just so much to build out there. So I don't necessarily know that I could see it going one way. Obviously, I hope there isn't going to be a state patchwork. That's not great um, across the board if you're thinking of the NCAA as, you know, trying to serve uh, 300 plus universities equally. And, you know, again, obviously thinking towards amateurism and you want to have competitive uh, groundwork across all schools in that way, but it's just, it's so hard to know how it would play out and like how every institution works through, you know, UCLA um, has a, the marks, the UCLA marks obviously carry a lot more weight than some other schools, right? So you think of, you know, that's probably a non-issue at a, a mid-major program that no, if you put that logo on something, no one's ever going to recognize it, right? Probably doesn't matter at that school, but a school like UCLA, we're obviously going to enforce those um, really harshly because we would for any student, not just for a student athlete, we would do it for anyone that walks on that campus. Um, there's a value to that. Um, so I think that that's really important. It just, every school is going to have kind of different facets, right? We work with a lot of Olympic student athletes, a lot of our student athletes are also just very talented, not just in sport, but in life and other talents. Um, and, you know, some of them probably choose LA because of the market, right? They want to be models, actresses, singers. Um, they want to pursue those opportunities and, and we work with them every day. Um, so it's not just necessarily how they're going to be able to broach this based on their brand as a student athlete, but like how they're going to be able to brand themselves for all the other aspects that make them so great as an individual. And I think, um, the great work that's happening at a lot of the companies that are kind of building out their education and um, their models for how it's going to move forward. It's just really being like able to adapt to that and then determining on campus how we can help. I think that's probably the most important thing right now um, because we don't really know. It's just kind of planning for everything, I guess. Right. You know, it's interesting, Terry, because in some sense, it doesn't, this is the first time that I've known of where, you know, it's, it's interesting. Anybody talks about legislation and the first issue is, oh, well, it takes so long. Well, I mean, it's supposed to take long, right? There's a reason why in the constitution there's checks and balances, right? You want things to take time. The beautiful thing about this relationship between um, really the three of you, you know, between ASP, a private company that's sort of looking to build uh, relationships and build out NIL and NFTs and everything else, all the other three letter acronyms, right? Um, and then of course, with Terry, with you at the, with the university and with Matt, you being at a social media company is that we don't really need the legislation or the universities to move quickly. We need the private companies to move quickly because you guys can change in a minute. I mean, you know, your terms of service, everything else change all the time. It's like, so it's like, it could be just as easy just to go, um, all right, let's change with the, with the sort of pattern of where this law is going. Right. And you could probably even, I mean, you, you would hate to do it, but you could even implement individual state rules, possibly, you know, depending on how it, how it plays out. Let's, let's hope that maybe that's not the case for your sake and the amount of work you're going to have to do. But um, so Matt, Terry and Carly brought up some great points. So let's, let's go to you. Uh, what do you think about sort of the current landscape and where do you kind of see some of this stuff going? Yeah, great question. And I'll just start with, you know, it, it's, Super relevant for UCLA. So, Terry, you said you met, work with the women's gymnastics team. They're probably one of the best-in-class examples right now of female student-athletes who have branded themselves well beyond the state of play and the competition that they're within. You know, they're constantly, for years now, have been going viral, have been building these personal brands because they are unique as individuals, regardless of their gymnastics performance. And, and they're great gymnasts, obviously, as well. And I think we always look towards 
gymnastics and, and cheerleading is another example where cheerleading is actually not bound by the, a lot of these same restrictions. So what can we learn from the cheerleading space of, okay, they built their, their presence on Instagram. They're doing branded content. They're fortunate enough, but they're not in within some of those same restrictions that maybe more the traditional sports have. And, and just wanted to call out UCLA gymnastics because we talk about them all the time uh, within the walls at Instagram. But I think similarly, to both what Carly and Terry said, you know, we are very much in the, in the wait and see what happens in terms of the legislation itself. But at the same time, what we know is that our role, our number one priority is helping athletes build their personal brand and drive long-term value for whatever that means for them. So if that is within the rules of, of monetization, that's great. But at the service level, that's things like safety and well-being on the platform. That's making sure that accounts that need to be verified or accounts that need to be resurfaced or accounts that should maybe be switched to a professional profile. We're doing that so that, you know, athletes can understand what works best on Instagram and have a safe and secure experience within that. We're constantly working on well-being tools so that as athletes, you know, can overnight turn into these essentially stars that they're doing so in a way that's safe, that they're not seeing hate on the platform or having a more positive experience. So that's kind of, you know, table stakes for us in terms of that education and really starting from the ground up. And then as we think about the legislation, it's really just trying to, to fit in where it's best. So if you think about Florida coming down the pipe this summer, we have to work towards that because we may have questions coming from the universities in Florida or from the athletes in Florida to set them up, up for success for, okay, how do I do branded content on Instagram? Or if I was interested in, in monetizing my you know video content, how do I do that? Or I have a great merch brand that I've been working on the side. I haven't been able to actually monetize that. I know Instagram now has this huge focus on commerce how can we teach you how to use those tools to the best of their ability? So I think we're playing towards, okay, this is going to happen one way or another and, and can't necessarily wait on some sort of federal or NCA legislation to come down because ultimately these are the tools that will exist on Instagram either way. And if they can do it within the bounds of, of the NCAA, then great. Um, but eventually, you know, students graduate and then they become, you know, their own advocates and that personal brand will really remain beyond just the field of play. So um, we would love a firm answer and, and we're working with all of the kind of institutions to try to lean towards that. But in the in the same time, you know, we're building, you know, an external landing page that athletes can come and learn about. We're building those train the trainer type decks that we can scale out through, you know, the collegiate programs or through third parties like LTS uh, and ultimately trying to meet the consumer where that is. Uh, and for a lot of these athletes, it's on Instagram. So is it, you know, setting up some sort of account that we run that shares these best practices? That's really tough to do and requires a lot of resources. But if that's the best way to get the message out, message out there to 18 to 22 year olds, it's something that we're going to have to do because we know that a lot of students aren't going through and reading through PDFs or PowerPoint documents that we may be more comfortable with just because we're in the professional world. So a lot of different things, but uh, it's super exciting. I think you know, we have a pretty strong task force across the company. And, and a lot of what we're focused on is, is raising that flag internally too, to say to the product teams or say to leadership, hey, this is coming. This is an influx of 450,000 users of our platforms. Let's make sure that they're equipped in the same way that a digital first creator who maybe isn't an athlete is equipped on Instagram. So, See, I love that. You're really, you're creating a soft landing place for folks, right? You know, it's like... Um the the quote that I often sort of give out is, you know, content is king, but distribution is queen and she wears the pants, right? So it's like um, by Jonathan Perlman. And it's like, that's really what it is. The content's there. How do you distribute it? How do you monetize it? So that's fantastic. And not surprising that um, you guys are raising that flag internally and looking for ways to, to build that. Um, Carly, I'm going to come back to you. 
so with regard to sort of this expanding space, right? Do you kind of see um, other companies like ASP popping up and sort of having an opportunity there? Do you think, and then maybe a follow-up to Terry would be sort of, or maybe those positions will be at a, at a school internally. So Carly, let's start with you and then Terry to you. Yeah, it's funny. It seems like almost every day there's another company or, um, you know, consulting group or person rising up in the space um, to, you know, be involved in NIL in some capacity. Um, but really with ASP, the team that we've put together is um, a world-class group. You mentioned Oliver Luck before. We've got Jessica Mendoza, who many of y'all have probably seen on ESPN. She's an incredible softball player and now um, commentator um, for baseball in the MLB and many others folks who are touching um, and have experience in all aspects of the sports industry and in collegiate sports. And so, um, you know, there are a lot of companies out there and we um, are one of the first to be in our specific lane of working alongside the athletic department. Um, and there are a lot that are we're in the space already and are kind of adapting um, what they do well to NIL. So it's interesting to see, um, you know, as the market continues to evolve, as things become more clear on um, where third parties in the space can and can't partner with, um, with different schools and in different ways. Um, you know, we're, like I said, firmly on the side of the institution and that um, will be allowed under these rules as they currently stand. So, you know, it is a, a an expanding, emerging, um, ever-evolving space and it's exciting to be a part of and in it. Um, but like you said, there's, there's a lot of new players every day. So just being up to date on who's coming in, um, where people are moving around is definitely crucial for us. No, oh, thanks Carly. It's good insight. All right, Terry, same question to you. Where do you see the growth here with regard to, uh, employment and business? Definitely. I think it's funny, like, I, at the beginning, when we were first learning of the changes, you know, last year, kind of like building it out, you know, have a matrix of like, these are the players, right? These are what the things they do, right? It's a nice little chart. That chart can't exist anymore because there are so many companies popping up. Um, and it's interesting, even now I'll get inquiries from, you know, students in undergrad or graduate schools that are, you know, hey, Tara, I want to be in the space, you know, what could we do, right? I'm like, do you even have social media, right? In my brain, I'm like, are you really the mover shaker in this area? Are you really, again, are you trying to capitalize on student athletes ability to monetize in the future? So you, you kind of see it in that way, because I do believe that there is going to be a huge influx, um, whether it be um, services as it relates to what Altius does, right? Partners, I do think Altius definitely sets themselves separately um, because of how they're um, really tied to the university. And I have like noticed that in the trends of other schools or other businesses really trying to market towards the student athlete experience, right? Let's elevate the student athlete. Let's make sure the student athlete has everything. But then you think on the back end, well, how are you ensuring that your whatever you're putting forward on your platform is going to be compliant to not impact their eligibility? Because then there's really no purpose there, right? That's a cyclical cycle um, that would really put that person in hot water. So I think there is definitely going to be a huge expansion, especially as we get like really close into the summer months. And then eventually, hopefully we learn of the change to NIL, um, because it's just, like you said, we're, we're talking about like hundreds of thousands of people, right? It's not like one small group. It's not just men's basketball and um, football student athletes. Um, it's going to service every student athlete that participates at the NCAA level in every, in every aspect. So it is interesting to see that. I think um, even internally, like from a university perspective, depending on how big it is, right, you could have, right, some schools are probably going this uh, student athlete development route. You could probably expand roles there, have people come in um, that can provide specific um, 
education or services that relate to the student athlete experience and really enhancing that because this is a form of work, right? It's just um, a working opportunity. So I could see other schools maybe kind of leveraging it that way. You know, you see uh, the school down uh, down the road a bit, you know, they have their nice marketing <laughs> partnership that they come out with. Or, sorry, I'm sure you all know what that one is. But, um, you know, you'll you'll probably see a lot of that, right? How you could build your brand internally, right? Within the department, they'll come out with the fancy logos and tell you kind of how to leverage yourself without obviously pairing you with the deals because that's probably not something that's going to be okay per the NCAA rules or um, kind of what we've seen, there's going to be a separation. So kind of seeing schools kind of inch their way as close as they can to show that they're going to provide you the optimum experience from uh, the student athlete perspective. But I think a lot of that is going to come through partnerships as well, um, you know, kind of finding a good balance between the two. No, thanks, Terry. Uh, so Matt, let's go to you. Um, maybe a little bit different question, uh, but somewhat related. So we talked earlier about maybe having these student athletes that are going to be sort of in this space where they're going to be able to make some money off their name, image, and likeness, or even through an NFT, right? Um, so what about for sort of a, just a you know, a non-student athlete, you know, somebody who's just looking to build a brand, uh, what are some sort of insights you can sort of have there to create a meaningful presence on Instagram or, or Twitter or Facebook or what have you, LinkedIn? Yeah, absolutely. And, and just last comment on kind of the growth and, and Tara, you touched on it on, on the school down the road, but I think we'll see an increased kind of resource and uh, investment in that creative space. I think there's going to be a huge launch of these either third-party or in-house kind of design and creative firms that are there specifically to capture athlete content and serve that to the athlete to use on their own channels. Um, and ultimately, they're going to be best-in-class at it, and that's going to become a recruiting tool in the long run uh, to have those best-in-class types marketing uh, and creatives in-house. But uh, in terms of, you know, just building brand across the board, I think it, it stays the same whether you're a student athlete or uh, you're anyone. And it's really consistency, and it sounds probably cliche at this point, but Consistency is the number one driver of growth of both your personal brand, uh, your accounts on Instagram, or really any platform. I think we often hear, oh, I'm going to be consistent. And, and, it, and it happens for the first two weeks, right? And then, you know, it kind of dies off after that. You really have to put in the time and investment on, you know, sharing content, whether that is in stories. And I don't mean to disparage stories by any means. That's the, the best way to show your day-to-day -day life. That's also mixing in, you know, a feed post and, and not just the highlights on feed. It's mixing in reels to reach that unconnected audience. You know, I'm sure you've all seen at the bottom of your Instagram app now, there's a Reels tab that's going to serve up content that you may not get otherwise from, from the accounts you follow because it is that unconnected distribution. It's longer form stuff on IGTV. And really that consistency is, is how to best build that brand. Um, we've been working really closely with Cam Newton recently uh, because he's tried to double down on his investment. And, you know, we had this kind of same, same talk with him. He has 4 million, 5 million followers on Instagram, but asking those same questions of how to stay relevant and build and grow. And what he did in March and what he's doing in March is, I think it's hashtag 31 for 31. He has his script, obviously, his kind of weird text on Instagram. But within that, he's posted every day. He shared reels. He shared IGTV. He's sharing the feed. It's his training regimen. It's his behind the scenes. It's with his kids. And that's, you know, the highest professional athlete, someone who doesn't need to be on it every day. And he's doing it every day because he challenged himself to do so. Um, and we've seen great results from it. His reels are, are, are killing it in terms of views and plays. And it just shows that no matter how far you've made it, um, still, you know, going in and putting that time and resource into building your profile and building your brand on Instagram or Twitter or you know, any of the platforms um, can, can drive, you know, just incremental value to, to your audience and even non-audience, you know, the unconnected that 
that we're trying to reach uh, with other services as well. Oh, thanks, Matt. So let's go back to you, Carly. And then maybe this might be the last question for, for us three here as we close in on the hour. Um, so Carly, talk a little bit about where you sort of think, and then same question to you, Terry, uh, where you think uh, sort of NIL is going to have an effect on recruiting. One of the big issues that's been brought up is, well, if each individual state has a law that talks about NIL, that might give more recruiting advantage to another sort of school. Um, my personal thought is it's probably not going to have much of an effect because people who want to come to Los Angeles will come to Los Angeles, regardless of whether there's NIL or NFT or any other three-letter acronym, right? Um, particularly the name unnamed school down the road. And I appreciate that all three of you did not mention that name. So that's really nice. But uh, so, um, all right. So Carly, same. So, so, so that question, what do you think about recruiting and NIL? Do you think that's going to have an effect on uh, how an athlete chooses? Yeah, I think for some, it will play a big role for some, it won't. Um, you know, I can speak to my um, recruiting experience if NIL had been live, um, you know, four, five, six years ago when I was going through that. Um, for me, it probably wouldn't have played a big role, um, but for many of my peers, I know it would have. So I think some of it will depend a little bit on the individual athlete, but in terms of, you know, the school and the coaches wanting to be proactive and leverage, um, you know, their department, what they're doing, what their city or state has to offer. I think there really are creative ways that um, no matter what market you're in or what city or where your state <laughs> legislation may or may not end up, there are a lot of creative ways that you can leverage um, what you're doing. So if you're in LA, obviously there are tons of opportunities there for all sorts of industries, or if you're in New York or, um, you know, and even Austin there, that's really a, a growing market. Um, but, you know, if you're in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, uh, you know, objectively a smaller market, um, but you're the superstar there, you know, you're throughout the whole Southeast region, but especially within the city of Baton Rouge, all student athletes are, you know, like celebrities. So really leveraging what you've got in your market um, for coaches who are going out recruiting, I think will be huge. Um, but I, my personal perspective is I think for the student athletes, it will, you know, depend a little bit on their personal, um, if they even want to be involved in NIL or what sorts of NIL opportunities they're looking for, whether that's, um, from a social media and branding perspective or wanting to potentially be in a smaller town where they can make those personal appearances or go out and sign autographs. I think it'll really just depend um, on the student athlete's point of view, but for those who are um, selling their institution and selling their program, it's really about leveraging what you've got that makes you unique, no matter where you are, what conference you're in or things like that. There's a lot that can be done. No, good points. Good points. Great answer, Carly. I like that. All right. So, uh, Terry, same question to you. How do you, how do you feel, you know, is this going to affect recruiting NIL? Again, if I knew that I would love the answer, um, to share with my coaches cause they would like to know as well. Um, again, I, yeah, you can't really predict. I, I honestly am in the same position as Carl. I think right now it's the big thing, right? And I think once we hit, we burst the bubble and you're able to do it, it's going to be a huge thing for a long, for, um, it's going to have that really like new uh, car smell, I guess I would like to call it. Um, and people are really going to like it. I think, again, because of social media and how big it is, um, it really is going to benefit the student athletes that are interested in engaging in it. But I think it's also important to know that there's like different facets of NIL, right? I know we focus really a lot on the social media aspect, but, you know, I was recently talking to a former um, football student athlete from Oregon. And, you know, he talked a lot about autograph signings. 
Like that's the money market for him. There's not going to be a lot of agents in his area, right? In Eugene, Oregon, but you know, you could be the 99th player on the team and you'll still have a line of people wanting to get your autograph, right? Because in that area, you are the hot commodity. So I think, you know, camps and clinics is another avenue. Um, again, you might be a baseball student athlete. You don't have a huge following on social media. You don't care about social media, right? It's not as uh, sexy as maybe in other sports, right? Where um, those um, sports are really leveraging that social media aspect. You might just make a killing in camps and clinics, right? And you don't need, you could live anywhere and make a killing in camps and clinics. I mean, in LA, you do well because you can host them the entire year versus if you're living in the Pacific Northwest, it's going to have to be an indoor facility situation. So I just think of it also from that perspective. I really do think it comes down to how you're recruiting and using it as um, leverage in the recruiting process. I don't think it's just going to be able to like show itself on its own. I, I also agree that if you want to be in LA, you're going to be in LA. Like that's, you're not going to be able to compare that. And I don't think NIL is really going to hinge someone's decision to go to a small market versus in LA, if that's really what you have your heart set on. And I think also in the recruitment process, you're focusing really on like the student athlete experience you're going to get in-house, right? It's not about the type of brand you're going to work with. It's about um, if you look good, feel good, and you're really vying for that championship, right? I think especially when you're playing at the power five level, like you're looking towards the championship, you're looking to make it in for some student athletes, you know, the Olympics is the end all be all and they've already accomplished that. So really it's just the four years that they're, you know, gaining their education at the number one public institution um, is really the, the selling point and winning the natty. So I, I agree. I don't think it'll be such a huge ripple effect um, that it's going to really impact someone's long-term decision. And if it does, it's not going to be the masses. It'll just be the handfuls that really are leveraging um, their kind of brand in that way. Oh, thanks, Terry. And then Matt, I'll give you the, the last word on this one. Uh, what do you think about from an outsider's perspective, right? Because Terry's at UCLA. She's at a school. Uh, Carly is outsider's perspective, but she's working for a company that's going to be working with the schools. Um, what do you think from a talent perspective? You think this is going to have an effect on folks? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, if you think about the examples of NIL activities, it, our side obviously skews more towards the social and, and then that influencer type model or appearance for social media advertisements. But ultimately, camps and clinics, if you think about merchandise, that's something that we're thinking through a lot just because of the commerce presence that's on Instagram. Um, you know, the personal appearances that are going to be niche and local. If you think about things like Cameo and, and just the ability for, for athletes and talent to reach kind of these niche audiences that college sports fans typically are, um, it's, it's kind of limitless there. And, and really what we want to do is play in bounds of what the NCA sets out or what a compliance department, department sets out. So we have to really finally tune the balance between, okay, we're hearing from the recruiting arms and the coaches about like pulling in this top line level talent, but we also have to make sure it's within bounds of, of what's ever set out from the legislation side and making sure that athletes are educated on both. Um, so completely agree with everything that was mentioned there. And uh, I think our focus is more on, on, on the students and the athletes because ultimately they're their users. And, and that's always you know where our focus will be across the board, whether it's sports, whether it's music, entertainment, um, or just you or I using Instagram uh, because it's always about that consumer experience. So uh, the research that we've done, we've just tried to meet with as many people as possible. And um, I think that the toughest group to get to is, is obviously the student athletes themselves, because, you know, they're, they're balancing a ton of different things and, and adding on becoming experts at Instagram uh, is just another thing on their plate. And, and many likely probably won't pursue that, which is completely fine. Uh, but those who do want to pursue can choose their own adventure. And that's, that's what we're trying to uh, establish. No, well, thanks, Matt. That's it's it's awesome insight, and 
you know, as you were talking, I'm thinking about Instagram and social media in general, and it really is a beautiful thing in the sense that there's no middleman, right? Like it's direct to consumer. So there's no, if you have content, you want to share it. Great. You know, and then it's all about, do the people like it? You know, is it engaging material? So, um, so Carly, Terry, Matt. So thank you everybody for listening in. Always appreciate uh, the listeners out there. This is Jeremy Evans, your host of the Believe in Sports Law podcast via the Believe Podcast Network. Hope that you enjoyed this week's show, which was a panel including guests from Instagram, Altia Sports Partners, and UCLA Athletics. We'll look forward to being back with you next week. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.